Welcome to Ascending with your host, T.J. Oakley. That's me. We're going to be talking about all kinds of things in your spiritual life and growth, how we can keep moving forward, moving up, not staying where we are, but continually moving up, ascending. I'm reminded of the verse that says, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? That's the question that we're asking in these casts. That's the question that we hope that you are asking yourself. God has one desire for us to ascend. Are you ready? Let's keep ascending. All right. So uh, I want to say welcome to our IG Live watchers and our podcast listeners. And so uh, we are in week two or part two of Encounter, and we're going to be looking at the life of Paul. Uh, Well, not the whole life, just a portion of his life where he has a very unique encounter. So let's get into Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 9. Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 9. And uh, for those of you who are watching live, uh, just try to keep up. And for those of you that uh, are watching on the rebroadcast, you can just hit pause and find it. All right, here we go. But Paul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul. Why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you persecute. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. This is Paul's encounter. I'm sorry, this is Saul's encounter. He's not Paul yet, but he will be. This is Saul of Tarsus. And this is his encounter. This is is the moment where everything changes for him. This is the moment that literally shifts history. Without this moment, the Bible as we know it does not exist. Without this moment, the modern day church does not exist. Without this moment, the first century church doesn't make it. Without this moment, the world of Christianity does not look like it does. Everything depended on this moment on his choice, on his acceptance or rejection of an encounter. So let's look at it. So last week I kinda, we kind of talked about Moses, and I think sometimes it helps as we begin to look at characters just to kind of understand who they are, what they are, where they're at. It, you know, you, they, they do this in movies and books. You, you, you kind of character develop. You get to know these people. So I'm going to give you some facts about Paul just so you can kind of get to know him, understand what it is that he's doing. His original name was Saul of Tarsus. He was a Roman citizen. And the reason he was a Roman citizen was not because he was a Roman. It was because in that time, Jerusalem and the surrounding areas were under the rule of the Roman Empire. And so anyone 
born into the Roman Empire and having the privilege of coming from a family that had Roman uh, uh, citizenship was allowed to claim Roman citizenship. And so Paul was in that group of people. We know he was a Hebrew of the tribe of Benjamin, which is which in that time was considered uh, uh, almost like a, a badge of honor uh, for them. Uh, and he was a member of the Sanhedrin. Uh, and now um, after Moses and, and after uh, the captivities, after their temple had been destroyed and, and, and all of those types of things from, uh, from the, the Assyrian uh, 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 exile. There we go. There's a word I'm looking for. The Assyrian exile, the Babylonian exile, the temple has been destroyed. And really temple worship, the, the way that they worshiped God and connected with God was kind of non-existent. They, 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 didn't, they couldn't really get back to uh, what they had known. And so in order to protect from breaking the laws of God and ending up in that situation again, they begin to form uh, these groups, these sects, that um, uh, kind of made sure that, hey, people knew what the laws said and that somebody was responsible for policing that. And that w w the Sanhedrin was one of these governmental structures that they set up to ensure that they would never again depart from the laws of God and be forced to leave their home country, be forced to live under that kind of oppression. And um, the fact about it is what started with good intention and what started with, uh, w with great heart became very quickly and oppressively religious. And we see this as Jesus marches on the scene and he has conflicts with these groups of people. And he, he begins to call them out on that. And so uh, th this is the group of people that Paul belonged to, the Sanhedrin. They were kind of the governing body. They, they made the laws. They, they were the people that, that, uh, that kept all these people in check. They were the ones that said, look, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this because of this. That was the Sanhedrin, and Paul was a member of that. Uh, he, was, he was well taught. He sat at the feet uh, of very uh, powerful people uh, who were considered to be experts in, in the reading of the Talmud and, and, and all of these wonderful things uh, that we have come to know uh, through our, our uh, Old Testament. Uh, they were experts at this, and these are the people that educated Paul. Um, he was a Pharisee as well. He wrote over one quarter of the New Testament, and he took three missionary journeys covering 10,000 miles. I don't know about you, that's a lot of miles, okay? This is Paul. This is Saul of Tarsus. This is who is being uh, exposed to the glory of Jesus by this bright light on his way to Damascus, right? And so uh, I, that's just kind of a quick synopsis of who he is and, and, and kind of uh, his backstory. So now we're going to get into great. We see what's happening in Acts chapter 9. Uh, we see this encounter with Jesus. We see this encounter with, uh, with this glorious uh, exposure uh, of the Son of God. What can we apply from that? What are we going to learn? Well, here's the first thing I want you to see. God will knock you off your high horse just to get you to listen. We, in our fallen nature, are easily convinced that we know best. We are easily convinced of our own greatness, of our own intelligence, and the fact is we simply know nothing. Without the Bible, without the inspiration of the Holy Spirit moving through men to answer some of these questions of beginnings and ends, we really have no knowledge of ourselves, do we? We depend on something, anything, everything to, to give us guidance to the next step. 
We are so convinced that we are the end all to be all, that, that we, we are the pinnacle of existence. And the fact is, it's pride. Pride is the ultimate enemy. Pride is what will keep you from being all that God wants you to be. Pride is what will keep you from getting the promotion. Pride is what will keep you... Come on, guys. We all know these people. It's pride that can oftentimes be so abrasive and so aggressive that it pushes us out. It, it, it excludes us. It, it seems to be... Uh, it, even the lost, even those that don't claim to know Jesus Christ as their Savior, find pride to be very distasteful. And yet, we are all guilty because it's so subtle. It, it creeps in before we know it. It, it. it is part of this fallen nature of mankind. But God has a way of saying, you know, forget all that. Let's be real. And God has sometimes to knock us from our, our, our high horse and say, look, I know you think you know, but you really don't know. And I am not knocking you down because I'm angry with you. I'm not knocking you down and taking you down a peg uh, j just to prove that, that I am God and you are not because he doesn't have to prove that because that's fact. And if it's fact, you don't have to prove it. You can try to disprove it, but it doesn't really matter. Right? You can disprove, you can seek to disprove it, but truth always prevails. And that's what Christ will sometimes do with us. Not because he's angry, but because he wants what's best for us. And this is what happens with Paul. He has to knock him down just so he can get some time where he can say, Hey, you got to fix it. I need you to listen. I need you to hear what it is that I'm saying. So let's look at Acts chapter 26, verses 12 through 19. It says, On one of these journeys I was going to Damascus. This is Paul writing, uh, and he's kind of reminiscing back to this. It says, As I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests about noon, O king. So he is kind of giving his testimony to uh, the, the Roman king here. As I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goad. Then I asked, Who are you, Lord? He said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen of me and what I will show you. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by me. Paul experienced the freedom of humility. As he's knocked from his horse and he begins to see himself in a more broken state, what begins to happen is that clarity comes to his mind. And God does not crush him. He does not 
begin to say, look at how bad you are. He begins to say, I have a higher calling for you and that's what I desire for you. That's what I want for you. I want you to be what I purposed you to be. I'm sending you out. Because sometimes you have to get low before you can be elevated. Sometimes you have to have God remind you that you need Him before He can raise you up. And some of us are so quick to jump out front and be seen when God needs time on the road to Damascus to say, hey, I need you to hear my voice. I need you to hear my plan. I want to send you. He experienced the freedom of humility. He didn't have to fit into anybody's box. He didn't have to fulfill it in a certain way. In fact, none of it required any of his ability or his qualifications. He became humble in the presence of God and with that came an empowerment and a call. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10, we see a little clearer. It says, but he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. He says again in 2 Corinthians 11.30, just previously he says, I must boast. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. Why? Then he goes on to that, that 12th chapter where he says, because in my weakness I'm strong. You don't have to be the strongest, the greatest, the most impressive. You don't have to have all the qualifications. Why? Because in your weakness, he is made strong. You say, but TJ, I've got some things going on in my life. I've got some dark places. I've got some wounds. I've got some scars. I've done some things. I've been through some stuff. None of that really matters. So, so there was a divorce. So there was an addiction. So there was a mistake. So, so you have a past. We see right here in the writing of 2 Corinthians that none of that really matters. Once you give your life to Christ, He can deal with it and it does not disqualify us. Why? Because it's those weaknesses that He becomes strong. How do I know that? How can I quantify that? Because I have no other way to explain it than this. If everyone knows what your weakness is and they know that you can't do that by yourself, then the only way that they can explain it is that something miraculous happened, that something other than you had to make it happen. You're not that good of a speaker. How is it you can teach and speak with such authority? You, you, you know, you, you weren't that educated. You didn't go to a Bible college. How is it you can teach theologically sound doctrine with such clarity? Because it's not you. It is Christ within you. That is the wonderful glory of God working through our weaknesses. It's what God desires for us. For in our weakness, He is made strong. The next thing I want to look at is this. Jesus spoke in Aramaic. 
The reason this is important is this would have been something that was really familiar to Paul. Being a Hebrew and being from the area that he was from, this was the predominant language of the time. I know that the Romans spoke Latin and, and, and all that kind of stuff, but for his people, this was it. This was Aramaic. Jesus didn't speak to him in the Roman language. He spoke to him in the language that Paul would have understood. What's my point? Jesus will speak clearly. He says, my sheep know my voice. I know that they will not follow. He will speak to you in a way that you can understand it so that you can know what it is that he's calling you to do. Now, sometimes he will speak and you may have to pray about it to get clarity on what it is he's asking you to do. Okay, Lord, I heard your voice. How do you want me to accomplish that? How do you want me to move forward? And we're looking to God not for, um, not for proof that it's him, but for confirmation of action. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when he speaks, you'll know it's him. When he speaks, there will be no question in your mind. You will know that it's him. Because his sheep, or his voice, he will speak to you in ways that you clearly understand him, and that's how you know it's him. What we're bad about doing is talking ourselves out of it. Well, maybe that wasn't God. I don't really want to do that. That doesn't sound like something I would want to do myself. Well, look, let me tell you something. The devil is not going to tell you to pray for somebody. Right? The devil is not going to tell you to see someone in need and give them money because that's a kind gesture. So if it's not the devil, and it's not something you would typically do, like, I don't know about you, even as a minister, even as somebody that feels they are called to full-time ministry, praying for people out in public, just walking up being like, do you mind if I pray with you? Uh, is not something that is completely comfortable for me. So if that thought comes to my mind, it must not have been me. It certainly wasn't the devil. So who does that leave? Does everybody get what I'm saying? He will speak to you and you know it's him. And when he does, be quick to obey. Don't talk yourself out of a blessing or a blessing to someone else. The next thing I want to look at Jesus' command to Paul was, I'm sending you to them to open their eyes. Paul being blind for three days understood what it meant to have eyes opened. I'm just going to go ahead and read it and then we'll talk about it. I have written here, God brings about circumstances in our lives so that we can help others. Everything that we go through is sometimes not our fault and it's sometimes not necessarily for us if that makes sense I hope I'm bringing this good clarity sometimes we go through things because we're the object lesson and that's terrible it's not any fun I mean it's when you're the object lesson it really stinks I mean you're like come on God what did I do I, I and, and, and we're looking around and we're trying to figure out, well, why am I going through this? Why has hell 
paid a visit to my front door? Why are things going the way that they're going? And we keep looking like, what did I do wrong? And it's not that we've done anything wrong. It's that God is using us as an opportunity to show people, this is what I can do in someone's life. And if I can do it for them, then I can do it for you. And he needs vessels. He needs people who have been broken that can look at somebody broken and say, I was in your position. I was where you're at, but I didn't have to stay there because there was a God that put me back together. It's called a testimony. It's called a witness. And it's powerful. Don't be too quick to rebuke what God might have sent to save someone else. That's a hard thought. But it might be what's going on in your life. Don't be so quick to reject circumstances. You may need to embrace those circumstances so that you can take that, make it a testimony, and then later when you see somebody dealing with an addiction, instead of being, instead of being ashamed and broken and hidden and silent, you can step out and say, hey, been there. Let me tell you about a man named Jesus. When I was addicted, he saw me through. This is the hope of glory. This is the hope that we have through this grace that Christ provides. That our past does not have to define us, but our life could be a light to a lost and dying world. Paul clearly understood this when he wrote in 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 11, we are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. Paul tells us right here, he said, yeah, oftentimes I go through hard times. Oftentimes I go through mess. Oftentimes I find myself in jail and I go through all these things so that Christ can be exemplified in my life. So that I can show the world what Christ can do through somebody surrendered to his will and his way. Trust the hand of God. Let him work in your life and let him do what only he can do. He doesn't need perfection. He just needs obedience. We hear from James in chapter 1 verses 2 through 4. It says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Could it be that you are going through what you are going through because through that, God is giving you something that you needed in order to complete Complete your work and assignment here on earth. It may be that Christ has deemed you worthy to wield that weapon. I'm just, 
I'm just pausing because I want you to think with me. Christ can be revealed through us. And it's these things that cause us to mature in our faith to the point that we lack nothing. That's the good news of the gospel. When we go through these times, we must allow them to finish their work, either for us or others. Don't jump out too quick. Don't be afraid to do the hard things. Finish the work. Stay the course. You will get through the storm. There is another side. It came to pass. You can make it through. It won't always be this way. The next thing I want to look at, it says, once Paul opened his eyes, they were set on something different. Paul's encounter changed the way he viewed himself and the world. The minute that Paul left that encounter, goes to a man named Ananias' house. Ananias lays his hand on his head and prays a prayer and God opens Paul's eyes in an instant after three days. The minute those scales fall from his eyes, the minute that his vision is back, he no longer sees the same. Could it be there have been some moments in your life where you just felt like you couldn't see clearly, you couldn't see what God was up to, the vision that you needed to get to the next step, you felt as though you were stuck because you, didn't, you couldn't see what was next, you couldn't see how to progress, and, and all of a sudden, it becomes clear. And it was like it was there all the time, but in the midst of that, God was working. And maybe you're there now. Maybe you, maybe you, you are in those mists. You are in those, those times where things are blurry and things are foggy. Things are missing from your vision. You can't quite see. You can't quite understand. But I want to encourage you that God is always working on behalf of his people. And the minute your eyes open, you will see something you could not see before. Paul experienced it. Paul knew what it was to have vision restored. And I believe that's what Christ wants to do for a group of people tonight. Philippians chapter 3, 8 through 10 says, What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of the sharing of his sufferings, being like him in his death. He said, I count everything that I have accomplished in my life as garbage because I've found something so much better, knowing God. He said, all these things in my life that I thought, that I thought were accomplishments, all these things that, that I thought uh, made me who I was, 
ended up being absolutely nothing because I found a greater identity in Jesus Christ. I found a greater identity in who he called me to be. I found something better in this life than all the things that the world tells me make me somebody. It was only Christ and his love that caused me to feel something that I could not feel. It caused me to be something that I didn't know how to be. It was the work of Jesus Christ, Paul says. I love 310. It says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. We all want to know the power. But then he goes on to say, in the fellowship of his suffering, becoming like him in his death. We will never fully feel or experience the power of God until we are willing to go through what Christ went through. What am I talking about? Sometimes being the Christian in the room is a lonely thing. Sometimes being the only Christian in the high school makes you the odd man out. Sometimes it keeps you from getting into the group that you felt like you really wanted to be a part of. Sometimes it keeps you from the promotion that you thought you deserved and you needed. Sometimes it removes you from the relationship that you really, really wanted. But your goal is not the things. Your goal is to know Christ. Because if we will know Him in those sufferings, we will be made conformable to His death. Christ said, if you lose your life for his sake, that's when you find it. That doesn't mean Christ is wishing death on us. It means that he is, he is calling us not to live this life as if it's our only one. When this life ends, if we have lived for him, if we know him, if we exist in him, that is not the end. Death is not the end. It is simply the transition into a new neighborhood. It is the transition into getting all that he has promised us. I say this to the guys at work all the time. Death does not hold fear for me because it's at that point that I'm going to get all that I've been working for. Don't waste your life living for this life. Do what matters. Expand the kingdom. Experience more of God. He's there to be experienced. We are called to more than living an everyday mundane, run-of-the-mill life. We were called to be his hands and feet extended. Philippians 3, 13-14 says, Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. In one version it says, I have not yet obtained it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press onward toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. There's some things you're just going to have to forget. There's some things that, that don't have to hold sway over you. There is something ahead that is far better, that is far greater. This is what an encounter does. This is what one encounter, one real encounter with Jesus Christ will do for you. It changes everything. It changes everything. 
And there might be some people out there going, you have lost your mind. But I am here to tell you, I am not crazy. I have just simply tasted and seen that the Lord is good, that He is a good Father, that He is God Almighty, that He has not lost an ounce of His power, that He still saves, He still heals, He still delivers, He still breaks chains, He still causes those addicted to pornography to be free, He still causes the drug addict to be redeemed and set down a path of freedom, He still causes depression to leave minds, He still mends divorces. He still mends uh, the heart. He is a God that has not changed in all of time. He was God then and he'll be God now and he will be God in the future. I am persuaded that he is real. He is alive and if you ever have one encounter with Jesus Christ and the glory just like Paul did, you will forever be changed and know that he is God and we are not. Last thing, Paul's obedience changed the world. Obedience in one encounter could affect countless lives. What would have happened if Paul had said no? What would have happened in that moment when God Almighty reached down and knocked on the door of Saul's heart. And he never took on this new identity of Paul. I know my life would have been different. Your life would have been different. A quarter of the New Testament would have been different. Ephesus would have been different. Corinth would have been different. What would have happened? Paul did not know what his obedience might shift. I would probably say Paul did not fully understand, nor will he understand it until we all get to glory and are all reconnected. But Paul never could have seen that his one moment of obedience shifted everything. It was a complete historical shift. One man changed everything. One man completely surrendered to God changed everything. One man sold out. One man willing to say yes to something he could not fully understand changed everything. What will your yes do? You don't know who might be coming behind you. You don't know what God could, could use your life to speak or to preach. You don't know what your life is capable of. There is greatness lying within you. And yet, what will your answer be as God says, I am here to have an encounter with you. Will you meet me? Paul never could have understood the gravity of that situation. And yet, his yes shifted a world. Will you say yes tonight? Will you live your life differently from this moment forward? It's time for an encounter. Find a closet. Get in your car. Go outside. It's cold outside. Put a jacket on. Get in the shower. 
wherever it is you have to go, whatever it is you have to do to find a quiet place, I want you to do this right now. As we begin to, to, to wrap this up and, and come to the end of this, I want you to find a place where you can connect with God. I want you to begin to cry out for an encounter. I'm not talking about an experience. You need an encounter. I need an encounter. We as a church, as the people of God, need an encounter again. To see Him in His glory, to experience Him in His power. We need an encounter. Take five minutes. Take 15 minutes. Take an hour. Purposely, specifically, get into his presence. Play worship music. Listen to preaching. Read your Bible. Whatever it is you've got to do. Do something you've never done before. Whatever it is, get alone with God until something shifts and you begin to experience that this is more than a prayer time this is an encounter with god i am seeing and becoming something more than i thought i could oh i hope this is making sense i hope this is making sense there is more to god than you have experienced no matter how deep you've gone in god there is always more He's too big of a God to, to soak up in a, in a revival service. He's too big of a God to soak up in a chapter. He's too big of a God to soak up in five minutes. There's more. Deep calls out to deep. Paul would write, we go from glory unto glory, being changed into his likeness. It's time to get an encounter. Let's do it tonight. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. God, I pray for every person that's watching now, that's listening by podcast, or is watching rebroadcast. God, as they go into that quiet place with you, God, I pray that you meet them there. That you are there to put their pride in check grant them new vision in places that they have previously been blinded. Lord, to teach them things that, that they need not just to help themselves but to help others. God, let them not be ashamed of their pasts or their scars. Let their scars speak. Speak of a God that is so full of love and so full of power he can pull them out of their darkest time. He can heal their pain and deliver them from the chains and the bondages that have held them for so long. God, meet someone tonight. Let an encounter shift someone's life tonight. I pray that you do that right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, I love you. Don't be afraid. Go into the deep place of God. He will meet you there. Be blessed. I will talk to you the next time I see you. In all seriousness, we'll be back real soon. I'm looking forward to it. And uh, we're going to do uh, about two more weeks of encounter. I'll be looking forward to it. Hopefully you'll be too. Be blessed. We'll see you.